Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Investor Dad podcast. Today's guest is Calvin Hexter of Calvin Realty. Calvin, how's it going, buddy? Hello. I'm doing fantastic. How you doing, Wayne? That's good. That's good. I'm great, man. I'm great. Uh, Calvin is an Edmonton realtor. He's also an investor. Um, got some really cool topics we want to talk about today. Uh, today, we want to talk about talk about flipping. So something we haven't really talked on the I think I've got like 102 episodes now and we haven't really talked about flipping very much, which is odd because most people that's one of the most common things that people think real estate investing is. Uh, and we're also going to talk about the Edmonton market and uh, investing in Edmonton. Um, Edmonton's hot, man. Like there's so many people coming into Edmonton these days from, you know, locally are investing here. We got other people come from other provinces investing here. So we want to talk about that as well. Um, before we go into it, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to, I got to do it. Um, no one's uh, leaving ratings or reviews anymore. I'm sorry. I, go, please go to iTunes if you're listening to it. Cause I see you listening to it. I, I, I watch the stats. I know many people are listening to this every month. I see you downloading it. Just go there and click on a rating, give it a couple stars, maybe five. Uh, and then just write something like, uh, that Calvin guy was extremely helpful or Wayne's a super cool dude. Um, or whatever (laughs) you want to know why is because what it does is iTunes sees that and they're like, Oh wow, people like this podcast and they show it to more people, which is the whole reason for this. I'm not charging you for this. So the whole point is that more people see it, they get into real estate investing, they take some action. So please go ahead and do that. I think the better the show does, the more guitars you can buy, Wayne. And we can add a fifth to the back there. I, that's what I'm thinking. That's all I've been thinking to this entire intro. So I'm going to need a wider uh, camera <laughs> so I can fit more guitars. <laughs> His, man, your, your backdrop is so cool. I feel like I need a better backdrop. You have the guitars, which is like, you know, speaks of your background. I feel like I need like a bunch of these guys hanging out. In <laughs> Just like one over here. One over there, you know, back, there we go. You got the double, the back bicep pose, you know, the famous <laughs> army. <laughs> that is awesome. It's heavy, what by the way. That thing, that thing is probably heavier, as heavy as your garage. Or sorry, not as heavy as your guitar. Um, <laughs> that thing would come right off the wall. Um, <laughs> What's it doing was, on the floor? Uh, we just bought a new place in June. And so we're slowly, we're slowly renovating. We're trying to find out, you know, where the best place to put things are. So, yeah. uh, okay. Okay. I can see, I can see the, um, the paint tape around the baseboards there. Yeah. Yeah. We got such really cool feature wall. So when we do uh, flipping 2.0 in the future, um, if I come back on the podcast, if you invite me back on the podcast, you will see it all done. It is very cool. And yeah, we're doing lots of cool stuff. So right on buddy. Right on. Okay, well, uh, you know what? Why don't why don't you start off with a little introduction of who you are and, and what it is that you do and uh, what it is that you've done um, to get started so that people know who you are. Sounds good. So I'm an investor-focused realtor out of Edmonton. A lot of people that hear investor-focused realtor, they're like, what the hell does that mean? Um, I still do primary, uh, primary homes for residential, but majority of my focus is with residential real estate. So I would focus with clients that have an intention of doing a fix and flip, like today's conversation. Uh, maybe burrs. We've heard a lot of burrs. Mm. Uh, any properties that are turnkey, where we're analyzing the performance of a property with cash flow, tenant profile, vacancy, potential appreciation. And we also do, or I also do, uh, the team also does a lot of like seller financing style options. Mm. So I would say when it comes to investment real estate, those are the most four common. I do dabble in a bit of multifamily, which would be number five. Um, but I help clients uh, achieve whatever their financial goals are through real estate. Um, and we also do, uh, we have a department for primary home as well. So I've been doing this now. I've been investing since 2013. 
I started out with the very first burr. I bought my neighbor's property off market. I remember I was mowing the lawn one day and um, it was just like, it was in St. Albert. Everyone talks to each other. Anyways, I was mowing my lawn. My neighbor was mowing his lawn, which seems like all the neighbors mow their lawn at the exact same time. Super weird. And it was kind of like a game of telephone. They're like, hey, did you know your neighbor's selling the house? He's like, no kidding. Anyway, so I was like, hey, I actually wouldn't mind buying another property because um, I had a primary residence at the time. My friend ended up buying a house, buying his neighbor's house. I was like, why the hell did you buy your neighbor's house? He's like, well, I'm going to cash flow it. And I was like, that's the coolest idea I've ever heard. I learned into it a little bit more. A couple months later, found out my neighbor's buying it, bought the house, did a burr, didn't realize I was doing a burr, probably ended up doing the worst burr you've ever seen. So if you guys ever want to hear about the worst burr ever, just come talk to me. I'll make you feel good. I'm going to make you feel so good when you hear about my first burr story because it's almost embarrassing. I also didn't have any idea what I was doing. So when that was back in 2013, I'm so happy that the, the train didn't get derailed after that one because I continued on. I learned from all my mistakes and the next spur was a little bit better. Next spur was a little bit better. Bought a turnkey property and then continued my growth with the portfolio. And then I got into real estate. I got into real estate and I have my license now for about three years. And I work with clients all over Canada. I have some clients that are, I have a client that was in South, um, South Africa. And I even have a client that I was working with um, in Australia. So it's been great. It's been really good. And I'm happy to, to make a positive impact with, uh, with all these investors and, uh, and clients. So that's amazing, man. And I, and I want to, I want to get back to that later on about how the, how did you, how do you have clients in South Africa and Australia? That just it did, um, <laughs> blows my mind, but obviously we're going to get up. We're going to get on that a little bit later. Um, I think that will be a great uh, segue later on, but, um, but that's really cool. And, and, Obviously, I never thought about burrs. I'm having a discussion about burrs, um, but burrs is is kind of sort of like flipping, right? It's just a little bit different, right? Um, burr, for anyone who doesn't know, is a buy, renovate, refinance, uh, rent, and repeat. No, I missed it. See, I missed one. Buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat. I got it, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so instead of renovating to sell, what you're doing is renovating to uh, refinance and keep in your own portfolio, which is pretty cool. Uh, do you still have that property? Yeah, I hold on to everything. I keep everything. If you look at what your parents bought their properties for back in like 80s, you know, 80s, you're going to be like, damn, I wish I would have bought that. You probably couldn't have because you're probably three years old, but you can still hold on to properties now and they do appreciate <laughs> So <laughs> good point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's really cool, man. Um, why don't we, why don't we start with flipping? Um, like, do you want to just give like a, a Wikipedia definition of what a, a real estate flip is? I'm going to do my best for a Wikipedia one. They're pretty good. You can, um, you can Google it real fast if you want. I mean, I should. Nobody would know. <laughs> um, you know, my definition of a flip is taking something, making it a lot better and selling it for a profit. That's simply what I would say. And you can flip any property, any style of property, as long as the numbers make sense. And there's somewhat of a demand on the back end to purchase it. Mm. Okay. That's the important part. So numbers are everything. Um, I think year to date, calendar year to date, I think I've sold probably about 40 flips. So I do a huge volume when it comes to, to flips, um, not my own personal, but working with clients. And so I get to see the ins and the outs, the successes, the challenges, some of the biggest failures, um, some of the biggest wins. But I would say when it comes down to it, you can flip anything as long as the numbers make sense and there's demand to purchase on the back end. Right. Simple. Yeah. That's simple. Okay. So 
someone decides, hey, I want to get into flipping. They got a little bit of money. Where where do they start? Like, how do they how do they find a deal? How do they know what the heck to do? Like, what's what's the first starting steps? For sure. First start, I would say get educated, get a coach, um, be resourceful, listen to podcasts like this, uh, read books, go to real estate meetups. Just so you guys know, meetups are now starting to get back in person. So if you like, if you crave that human interaction, which I do, I think Wayne, you're the same. Yeah, go out and mingle and interact with people that have done flips. I would say that's your very first thing is market intelligence. Get to know what a flip is. How do they work? Go see a couple flips. Go see yeah. a flip from the starting stage. Go look at one in the middle stage. Find one in the end. If you go to these meetup groups, investors are so cool. They're always willing to share their information with you. They're, they're so proud of what they're doing. Most of them anyways, 99.9%. If you ask them, hey, I would love to take a look at your flip. They're probably going to say yes. And I bet you're probably going to learn a few things. Now, if you do this and do it 10 times, I guarantee your knowledge and education when it comes to flips and understanding kind of, you know, the steps, it doesn't mean it's the right steps because just because you're going to see an investor that's doing a flip, it doesn't mean they're doing a good job. Unfortunately, I have to say that there's a lot of really terrible flips out there that don't make any sense. So it's not as simple as my definition to do a flip. There's a lot more to it, but I would say get educated right off the beginning. Um, getting Sandy, uh, and then also understanding the market. I talked about understanding the real estate market. There's different, um, the market goes through expansion and contraction. So meaning that property prices go up, property prices go down. And when you're flipping, it's important to understand what market you're also in, because that will dictate the type of results you're going to end up seeing. And you're, if you're flipping and you're at the peak of a market and you're starting to head towards a contraction stage, meaning that there is less buyers, much less buyers than there are sellers, you might have more of a challenge and have higher holding costs on the tail end of selling your mm -hmm. So the numbers need to be reflective of that. So a lot of flippers, not only do we have to understand that there's a profit that needs to be made, that there's a, sorry, a spread that needs to be made between purchase price and what we call ARV after repair value. We also need to make sure that we understand where in the season are we, right? We know that it's easiest to sell between, you know, April 1st and say September 30th. We know it's much harder to sell via like October 1st to March 31st. So you need to also plan for that too. When are you buying the property? How long is it going to take? When do you plan on having it hit the market? Because that's going to affect your numbers. You're going to sell for less in the wintertime. Right. It is yeah. what it is. There's less buyers in the wintertime. But you also need to be reflective of the market. So I would say, you know, not to plug myself, but I would say any real estate and focused investor, um, realtor will also be able to help. Or if you have a coach that can help, that, that's, that's probably the biggest steps I can see at the beginning is just get educated, go out and, and actually see what flips look like. You're absolutely right. It doesn't matter how many books you read or how many podcasts you listen to at the end of the day, like sometimes just going out and looking at one. I mean, you know, we just looked at one recently um, just to be able to go there to see, ask the question, how much did you buy this for? How much did you renovate it for? What was your holding costs? What's the ARV, the after repaired value? What did you actually sell it for? Why? Why? Why did you have those comps? Why did you have that after repair value? And it sold for this. That's valuable information. Um, because it, it's just words on a piece of paper. I mean, you actually have to go out and find out how it actually works sometimes. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's super cool, man. So when someone is going out and they, you know, they've done the research on the market, they've done the research on the numbers. How, how do they know when they're looking at a property that this one will actually work as a flip? Definitely. So the numbers you want to consider, um, I always say work your numbers backwards. So if you see a property, um, when give me any community in Edmonton, you can let's give me go with, 
Why do you put me on the spot? I, the, yeah, the, I'm sorry. Anything. I, the, 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 it's Weddle Place. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Okay. So if we're looking in that community. Millwoods. Always... Millwoods. Let's go Millwoods. Mill okay, we'll go General Millwoods. Sure. So if we're looking and we, we come across a property. So Wayne and I are looking for a good deal. We're ready to do a flip. In actuality, Wayne is looking to do a flip, which is super cool. So maybe we'll, we'll bring you along that journey. So if we're looking at doing a flip and Wayne and I are thinking, okay, we got to find a good deal. Well, it always starts with what that product could be. That's where it starts. So if we find a property and we see a house, um, you know, there's certain criteria that I always recommend for a flip, by the way, like square footage, bedrooms, bathrooms, location, whether it's a corner lot, um, whether it's on a busy street, these are all things that majorly affect the value in your days on market holding costs when it comes to a flip. But when it comes to finding a good deal and whether you know you had a good deal, find out what the after repair value of that property could be. So let's go through a basic example. We're in the woods and we see a property and we it's available for $250,000, okay? I already know for that community, if you can find a property over a thousand square feet for $250,000, that's pretty good, okay? If it's a teardown, you're probably not, you're probably overpaying for it because land value is gonna be a little bit less in most spots in Millwoods. But if it's about $250,000 and we know that the ARV is about say, 400, say 380 for a single family home, keeping it as one unit, but maybe it's 430, which kind of is the right bracket for suited houses in Millwoods for the most part, depending on location. Um, we know that there's a pretty good spread, right? We're looking at about 150, maybe, you know, 150, $170,000 spread. So I know because I've done enough of it that renovations on a single family detached house over a thousand square feet, you know, if right around a thousand square feet, if you're keeping it to, as a single family detached house, renovations are roughly going to be seventy, eighty thousand dollars obviously depending on what renovations have already been done. If windows have already been done, boom, you can remove your reno budget, drop back a little bit, roof has been done. I'm using those numbers as a full renovation product project, okay? And the nastier ones, the better. So if this $250,000 house is a little bit nastier and it has, you know, shit stains all over the toilet and the bathroom, and yes, that does happen, and it's a bit of a hoarder's house, it's gonna be a good thing for us because there's less competition. Mm. And that's a big thing. The nastier, the better. If you guys are walking into a property, so Wayne and I walk into this $250,000 house and it smells like smoke, it's completely retro. There's a hoarder, there's diapers sitting around the whole property. And yes, I've been in properties like that that look exactly like your HGTV show that you've seen, hoarders, over and over again. Yeah. That happens in Edmonton. Your neighbor could be a hoarder and you don't even know it because they keep the exterior good. Interior is like a crime scene. We yeah. walk into it. We're like, okay, this is good because we're going to have less competition, less competition when it comes to primary home buyers. We're only, our only competition is probably just going to be investors at that point. Yeah. So that means that there's a less likelihood of it going through a multiple offer situation. Also something very important because a property price could look very good, but the sellers could be trying to have the intention of getting through a multiple price can go up higher. You can end up overspending. Don't get into that realm. Primary home buyers will always pay more than investors. Investors always comes down to numbers. So yeah. let's get back into the numbers. If we know there's a $150,000 spread between, you know, roughly between purchase price and sale price, I know that there's enough room in there where we can calculate, what are the numbers you need to calculate? Renovation costs, yeah. holding costs. What are holding costs? Utilities, mortgage, um, all that stuff. Borrowing costs would be, are you borrowing the money? Borrowing costs, yeah. Borrowing money to do the renovations, are you? I think that's one that sneaks up on people a lot. Definitely. And borrowing costs and holding costs, 
try and plan for two months extra than you think the property's going to take to sell. So if you're like, I'm going to get this renovation done in, a, in, in three months, and then it's going to take a month to sell. So you're at four months, always calculate six months. Okay. Make sure you have a little bit of a buffer because what if you can't sell? What if there is a challenge? What if something happens where we go through lockdown again and it does the opposite to the market this mm -hmm. time? And we actually see a big reduction in buyer activity as opposed to the opposite of what we saw in 2020. So we want to make sure that we calculate those costs as well as your profit and closing costs. So let's go through those again. So we're going to calculate things like renovation costs. So get a contractor in, get two to three quotes, calculate your holding costs, utilities, mortgage, property tax, insurance, anything else I might be missing, holding costs. If you're borrowing the money from your line of credit, if you're borrowing it from your mother-in-law, father-in-law, um, maybe from like Calvert, hard money lender, calculate your closing costs. So like realtor fees, lawyer fees, if you're going to be getting an RPR, um, and then your profit. All right. I have all those numbers in. And as long as you have, as and then it's essentially going to show you what the purchase price should be. Start with right. your AOB, work your way back. And if, if it ends up at like 260, if you, if you start at say 400 and you work your way back and ends up at 260, once you subtract anything, that $10,000 is either a miscellaneous fee that you can use or it's additional yeah. profit. So start working your way back. And I always recommend having a miscellaneous fee too. What if you, what if Wayne and I buy this property in Mill Woods and the basement's fully drywalled and then we realize that there's a massive horizontal crack that's, you know, mm -hmm. this dime in thickness all the way wrapping one corner. That's going to be some big money. So we want to make sure that we're going to be able to continue momentum. So you always got to have that miscellaneous costs in there as well. Um, just to make sure that you're gonna be able to continue to flip afterwards. Hey guys, I'm sure you already know this, but the Real Estate Investing Cabin Retreat is coming up very soon here on September 17th through 19th in Alberta Beach. You get to spend a whole weekend at the cabin with Gabby and I, everything's included, all accommodations and food. We are gonna bust everything open. We're gonna show you what's possible in real estate investing and how we built our business. The spots are, pretty much filled up. I think it actually might be full now. So, uh, but we're also planning another retreat right quick here in either October or, no or November. So if you're pissed that you didn't take action, reach out to us by email or text and we'll get you on the waiting list for the next event. Okay. Back to the show. Absolutely. And one thing we didn't add in, there was a home inspection as well. Obviously factor that cost in, um, a home inspection, you know, they can't really see behind walls. I mean, they are really great, but they're, they're not Superman right? They can't see beyond walls. Um, but a lot of times they, you know, they have different devices and stuff that actually can check for moisture. Um, so sometimes if you have a crack, you know, that's horizontal like that, typically moisture is getting in and they're able to, to, to detect that. So they can say there's something going on here, which could be a red flag for you and you can investigate further. So um, there are ways to kind of you know mitigate that, but it's a great point. You need to have enough of a spread, enough of a cushion so that if things do happen, um, you don't want to lose 10, $20,000 on a deal. Exactly. Um, now you talked about, you know, it, it's 70 to $80,000. I think you're referring to mostly like a, pretty much a full gut, right? And I think that's why you were talking about the fact the smellier, the dirty, the better, because it doesn't really matter because in, in most cases, everything's going, it's going regardless if it smells or it doesn't smell. So the smellier, the better, because you can leverage that for negotiations. You can leverage that so that there's less competition. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, make sure you're wearing shoes that you don't really care about too much when you're out looking for these types of properties because sometimes you never know what you're going to find, yeah. right? And, and you're always going to make the most profit in the nastier property. The bigger the flip, the more profit you're going to achieve. 
If you're looking to flip a property just by adding paint, you're going to have to hope that that seller is very desperate for a sale. Where we find the biggest spread is where the property is in a condition where it needs everything and the seller just wants out. It doesn't mean like foreclosures are the best deals. I've probably purchased, I don't know, probably over 60 foreclosures in the last three years, a ton of them. They're not always great deals. So a lot of people, I wanted to bring that up in this uh, as yeah. well because a lot of people are thinking, okay, I want to do fix and flip. So automatically Calvin, just send me all the foreclosures. I can totally do that. I'll send you court, bank, CMHC, everything you want to see, but don't expect that they're going to be good deals. And there's going to be a bit more of a risk when it comes to them, which I think is a whole nother conversation. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah. Why why, why, sorry, I, I have to go down that rabbit hole. You, you, you started it. Right. Why is it more of a risk? So they're more of a risk because instead of you having a seller, so instead of Wayne, you know, we'll pretend Wayne's going to sell me his property. He's on this side of the screen. So I'm hoping that I'm right. So if Wayne is going to sell me his property. Okay. So thank you, Wayne. He actually has to disclose things like latent defects. So remember that crack on the wall that we talked about? Right. If there was water intruding through that crack and he didn't have just driving over top of it, out of sight, out of mind, you know how that works, right? If you right. can't see it, it doesn't exist. He actually has to disclose that to me as a buyer. Anything that would cause any kind of major monetary or safety concerns for me as the buyer, that guy needs to let me know. That's a positive. So if you're a brand new flipper, that's a good thing. You wanna know that because that's gonna help you with your costs. That's yes. gonna help you not derail your train. So if you're looking at building a portfolio, I have so many clients that flip properties and then they can hold properties. That's going to cause serious derailment of your momentum. So mm. foreclosures. Now, if, if if Wayne's the bank, Wayne's RBC, they foreclose on a property. And just so I understand, just so everybody understands that's listening to this, a foreclosure, 99.9% of the time, it's because they're not paying their mortgage. And usually depending on how much equity they have, their property will depend on how much of a timeline it takes for them to foreclose. I've seen foreclosures happen in six to nine months. I've seen foreclosures take two years. Every foreclosure is different and they need to be handled differently. That bank, so if he's RBC, he's not going to tell me about that crack because he doesn't know anything about that crack. He doesn't know anything about the property. So there's no seller warranties. Okay. Mm. You're taking the property as is where it is. So you have to make sure that you're doing all your due diligence to make sure you're not getting a lemon. And there's right. due diligence that we do to make sure you're not getting a lemon. I would say foreclosures have a little bit less competition as well because a lot of people don't know how to navigate foreclosures. And there's some foreclosures that require unconditional offers as opposed to conditional offers, which puts you at a little bit more of a risk. That's where I recommend intermediate to advanced investors. That's where they can start dabbling in. But you right. st you're starting out, maybe go into something that's a little bit more safe, and then you can start to take bigger risks once you start having a bigger bank accounts of profit. So you can actually, if there is a big loss, you can handle it. And our goal is mm -hmm. to never have a loss that's why a lot of our clients are building such big portfolios because it's a win-win. We want to make sure that you get a good flip so then you can buy another property, sell the property, buy another property, and then we continue this journey together. It's amazing, man. So uh, again, we were, we were mostly talking on like uh, the gut flips, you know, like something you're just going to go in and you're going to remove all the flooring, you're going to repaint, you're going to remove the kitchen, bathrooms, all, it's all coming out and new things are going in. Pretty much just the, you know, in some cases the drywall get replaced, but in most cases just right down to the drywall. Um, and right down to the subfloor. So what about um, renovations where you're not going to that extent? Maybe it's something, you know, um, you want to you wanna take some baby steps, you want to go and do a smaller flip to start. You know, how do you go about finding a really good deal where you can add some value and increase, increase the value of the property? 
in, in a situation like that. That's not a full gut. Right. So you can do flips that are smaller. It's going to be harder to find good deals because a lot of the owners aren't in a desperate, uh, desperate state mm. that usually have um, a property that's in somewhat good condition. Um, the margins are harder to achieve. So if you're calculating everything like rental costs, holding costs, borrowing costs, and obviously your holding costs and borrowing costs are going to be less, yeah. um, but you're still going to have your closing costs. And that's, that's a big one, Wayne, that I'll tell you that's going to eat a big chunk out of it. So because you're selling the property and you are paying for commissions, unless you're going to do like a, for, like an FSBO for sale by owner, um, that could save you some big money. Right. I'm all for it. If you can sell it by yourself, if not, the MLS typically can get you higher dollar value in a shorter period of time. Um, but it's a little bit harder to achieve when you're doing a small flip. Okay. You just got to make sure that the numbers work. Um, I would say the biggest things you can do, you know, when it comes to doing a small flip would be things like what, what's the cheapest things that you can do to make a property look good. Spray the front of the house. If it has that old stucco spray it, make it look fresh, paint the inside, new trim, new baseboards, new hardware. So instead of even having to replace your kitchen, you can replace either the faces, you can paint the faces, you can get new hardware, put new lighting in. It'll start to look like a new property at that point. But the biggest thing we want to do is if you're doing a small flip or a large flip is always make sure that you're flipping it to the demographic that's most likely to purchase it. Right. That's where flippers make the biggest mistake in my opinion is they don't have a property, an end product that's going to tailor towards the demographic in the community that they're flipping in. Mm. They're flipping in a highly desirable community where the dirt is really expensive and houses are selling for quite a bit higher. They're expecting a higher end product. They're expecting more space. They're expecting a lot of things. Okay. And that's where we always make sure that sold comps. So looking at comparisons of what have sold, that is like your North star. That is the most important thing you can do as a flipper is to see what that North star is and make sure it's in line with that. I've had flippers before use another realtor, call me halfway through, say, I'm not happy with what's happening with my realtor. My property needs CPR because we're not selling. I go into that property, that master bedroom could barely fit a queen size bed. So there's so many little things that you can do that, that would, would, would just caught like little things like that. Like that, that literally that one thing can cause you not to sell and everything else in the property could be great. So it's important that you go into these properties, experience them, feel them. So you know what it's like and you can see what you like and what you don't like. Okay. Because there's a good chance that other buyers are going to feel exact same way. Can you go a little bit deeper into why it's important to get sold comparables? Like what is the value of a sold comparable? So you don't even know what the property could be until you know what that sold comparable is, but you're also going to be asking yourself, I get this question all the time. So a big part of what I do is, is like coaching and mentoring along the process because I want you to be successful. So we want to know to what extent should you be renovating that property? You know, if you buy a property in say Britannia Youngston or Mayfield, does it have to be quartz countertops? Does it have to have, you know, high end finishings? Can you get, get away with something lower? I would probably say so. You could probably go away, get away with something intermediate. Now, if you're looking in communities that are a little bit more highly sought after areas like, you know, Bonnie Dune, Otwell, um, Crestwood, you have to put that money in and you have to make sure that the space makes sense. Like I mentioned before, what's going to sell, you need over a thousand square feet. Most buyers don't look at anything under a thousand square feet, just so you guys know. So you're going to, you're already going to, before, as soon as you buy the property, if it's under a thousand square feet, and I'm not saying that under a thousand square feet properties don't sell because I list a lot of them, but you're going to remove yourself from a very large demographic. Okay. And you want to be able to tailor that property to the largest demographic as possible. So that's why doing flips 
and doing it to your own taste as opposed to what actually sells is going to be the difference of you can be able to sell or not. If you like blue walls, it doesn't matter because you're not buying the property at the end of it. You know what I mean? That potential new buyer is going to take care of that. So you got to mm. make sure that you're flipping towards what the largest demographic is going to like in that area. So you need to shop what's selling in that area. If we find a, a property that just sold, a lot of times we can get in there with the realtor and we can go ahead and take a look and see, hey, why did this property sell for this price? Let's walk around it. Let's 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 actually experience it. Looking at it through photos has zero justice as opposed to actually seeing how the space is laid out and what they ended up completing with it. Mm. So it needs you need to have the field trip. Lots of field trips. Definitely. Yeah. Great tips, man. That's great tips. Um one thing I've always been curious about, and, and I'd like your um, like your uh, opinion on it. What what shouldn't you put money into when it's, when you're doing flips? Generally, good question. Um, I would say it's easy to over um, over renovate in regards to items that you wouldn't want to put money in. Mm. It's a tough question. I would say you know should you, should you be focusing on the landscaping? Like, is there? I'm um, you had talked about you know painting the stucco in the front, but is yeah. it is it worth re landscaping the whole front so that it looks like you know there's archways and stuff like that to come? Please come to my house, or is okay. are you going to get that value back? What about depending, a backyard or like a basement? Depending on the area, uh, but I would definitely say that having curb appeal is going to be a big leverage point because that's usually the first thing that people see, and that's usually the very first listing photo. So. First listing photo, nine times out of 10 is the front of the house. If the front of the house looks like an ugly duckling or it looks like it's been forgotten about and you have a big price tag next to it, they're not even going to click on picture number two. Your property is now lost to that person. They're not going to see it again. They're probably never going to look at it again. So the curb appeal does make sense. I would say, you know, if you have a roof that's like 50% of its lifespan, don't worry about replacing it. If your sewer line is collapsing a little bit, but it's still good, don't worry about replacing it. It all depends on what, again, that ARV is going to be. Um, but try not to overspend either. It's easy to, to you know, buy the expensive toilet in certain areas that aren't going to really give you a return back just because you like it. You need to really step away from what you like to what the demographic to your selling is going to mm. appreciate. And that's that's the biggest thing. So just treat, treat like a business. Have to. Have to. Mm, that's awesome, man. Um what about uh, what about negotiations when you know? Well, first things first. You know, I've, it's a two part question. First question is, you know, can you find these on MLS or do you have to find private deals? Um, second question is, is is how do you go? Let's just start with the first question. Um, can you find deals like this on MLS? Yes, yes. yes. I hand select. <laughs> I hand select them all the time. Honestly, you're probably going to find majority of the deals on the MLS, and there's so many different outlets you can look at. You can look at Properties that just hit the market, you go out and view that afternoon, you send them a really attractive offer, you, you now have it pending, and you already passed the competition because all the competition's coming later that evening or tomorrow. So being first pays. In addition, being last pays. Looking at looking at you know properties that have... So let's understand the psycholo psychology of it all, okay? So... If you're looking at properties that just hit the market, super hot, you got to be super fast. You got to be super fast. You got to be there first. Now, on the flip side of things, if you're looking at properties that are maybe like 70, 80 days on market and you're going into the winter time, like we are, I'm, I'm whispering because these are some really valuable secrets. And so if you're going into a month like, say, September, and you know that there's not a lot of runway left to sell, because we know that most sellers, 
will remove their listing at the end of September and then try and resell next year. We know that their inventory goes way down. So we know that sellers are probably a little bit more motivated right now to sell more than any other point throughout the year because like we talked about before, Wayne, we are very seasonal. So take advantage of it. Look at the properties that are 70, 80 days on market. And why do I say that number? Again, there's reasons why I say everything. And you should know why I say everything. Most listing agreements with realtors are usually 90 to 120 days, meaning that once that agreement is up, so if, if Wayne's hired me, there we go. If Wayne's hired me to help sell his house and we started off in say June, June 1st, and we had a three month agreement, we know that at the tail end of that agreement, that realtor is going to be super motivated to sell that, that freaking property because we don't know if that guy, my seller, is willing to remain and renew my contract. So I'm going to be super motivated. And the seller likely knows that it's going to be a hell of a lot harder to sell in the wintertime and they're probably frustrated. So mm. give them the opportunity to sell their property. Send them an offer that makes sense by working your numbers backwards. Start with the ARV of what that house could be. Fit your numbers in. And if they're listed at say 320, but the numbers make sense at 295, send them an offer at 295, make the conditions, possessions advantageous to the seller. Right. And they might consider your offer and you might have a great deal and a wicked winter project to work on. That's a huge pro tip right there. Huge. And you know what? I had a two part question, but you answered my second question without me even asking it. How do you get the winning bid? And you answered it in two great ways. And uh, depending on, like you said, you know, whether you're the first one or the last one, those are solid tips right there. Um, I got a question here from uh, Adrian. Since we're doing it live, you know, we can actually read them. Um, Adrian asked, would you say that curb appeal is also important for the burr on a rental? Yes. And Adrian, hello, hello. Thank you for watching. Um, I actually sent, uh, we'll talk, we're going to talk about that after um, yeah, hundred percent. So appraisers, it's always good to get a good contact for appraisers. So I have a really good mm -hmm. uh, connections with appraisers in the city because they are so important, like lawyers, accountants, um, inspectors, general contractors, appraisers. They're so important to have that strong team relationship with. Why? Because you want to know why do appraisers appraise what they do? How do they get their numbers? Are they just looking at the inside and looking at the outside? You know, common question is, I have a dog that shits a lot in the backyard. Do I need to clean it up before the appraiser gets there? Is he going to appraise my my house less because I have so many landmines that he might step in? Ah, it could make a difference. So yeah. Clean, yeah. Up your, clean up your dog shit before the appraiser comes. Um, <laughs> yes, curb appeal does matter. Definitely, 100%. Because the appraiser is going to go in there. You're not going to pick the appraiser that does it, but you're going to understand how appraisers work, function, and determine property value. Once you know the keys to the test. So you're essentially looking at like the cheat sheet, the answer sheet to this test. All you got to do is take it and follow it now. You know what I mean? You literally have the answers when you talk to an appraiser. What do you appraise on? What are the most important parts when it comes to a high appraisal? You take it and I bet you're going to be happier with your burr because that refinance number will be higher. Again, mm. you can take that appraiser, but a lot of them function the same way. And pro tip, if you're not happy with your appraiser or appraisal, you can battle it out. You can go ahead and renegotiate that price. A lot of people don't know that. If you have a shitty burr, or sorry, a shitty reappraisal, you can go back and you can renegotiate a higher price by sending them comparisons that leverage your argument. Mm. Just like so I found out with your mechanics, if you go to the dealership, you can also negotiate your mechanical bill. 
Interesting. Yeah. And a, lot of people just, a lot of people just accept it, right? You can't, but especially you can't the, bur, the, the whole intention of a burr is to get as much money out as possible. So if your appraisal doesn't come in right and you know you've got the right comparables, absolutely go back. Make a case because, I mean, that's the more money you leave in, the lower your ROI is on that uh, on that burr property. And I've seen $10,000, $20,000 changes just really? by sending them separate comps. And I've done that lots. Yes. So don't don't just take it. As an investor, if you're not happy with it, let's find out how we can go ahead and change it, especially if you've already put all the money in the property. You're probably not going to pay another appraisal to come back if you just painted the exterior of the property because you heard this podcast and like, shit, I guess curb appeal does matter. You're probably not going to pay for another appraisal to come in afterwards, pay the 300 bucks, talk to the um, appraisal uh, appraiser and see how we can go ahead and leverage it up by sending them better comps. Yeah, that can send you, that could put an extra two to $4,000 in your pocket. It's it's worth the investment. We got a couple questions actually coming in here. I'm going to answer these questions before we move on. Um, Calvin, do you know any Edmonton wholesalers? I know about ten, maybe fifteen. And if we're being honest, I think that there's there's only about ten or fifteen in Edmonton. <laughs> you know, do you know why? I know say that you know all of them. <laughs> well, I. You know, when you when you really get into the investment world, you're going to realize that it's kind of like a big family. And a lot of people appreciate the win-win mentality. And that's exactly where I come from is I'm working with clients to win-win. I'm working with wholesalers to win-win. Everyone I'm working with is for a win-win. And that quickly gets around. And I think you as an investor, if you have the same approach, you're going to have a lot of people wanting to work with you for JV opportunities, um, whatever whatever it may be. Now, when it comes to wholesalers, when I drive by a sign and I don't recognize that number, guess what I do, Wayne? Ring, ring. I think Hello. you need the new iPhone. <laughs> I don't have a house to sell. <laughs> but my name is Calvin. I would love to be able to chat with you a little bit more about what you're doing as a wholesaler, right? Where do you see wholesalers? They're going to flyer yeah. and they're going to post signs. Two of the most common ways that they're going to get your attention as a seller. Yeah. So... I may not be, you know, one of my rental properties might get a letter and then I'll tell my tenants to just make sure they fire it over to me or I'll end up seeing a sign and I'll call them up and I'll create a positive relationship with those wholesalers. What do wholesalers need? They need comps, they need market intelligence. So I like to be that person for those wholesalers to make their job easy. Mm -hmm. Why do I need a wholesaler for those of you that, that are listening that aren't familiar with wholesalers is my clients want good deals. And sometimes these off-market deals can be exceptional, especially when you don't have the rest of the competition of the MLS you're fighting against. Yeah. Do you want to talk about what a wholesaler is? You get knows? Yeah, give her. Yeah, let's, let's talk about it. Okay, so a wholesaler, you don't have to be licensed. You don't need any kind of special certificate. A wholesaler could, you could be a wholesaler tomorrow. A wholesaler is essentially somebody that is getting a property under assignment which is essentially saying that I'm going to have, you know, 30 days to help sell your property and I'm going to get a fee for it. So you could knock on your neighbor's door and you could tell them, Hey, I love your property. If you ever consider selling, I would love to have that conversation with you. And then you have what's called an assignment agreement. If you don't have an assignment agreement, you can talk to other wholesalers. They might help you. Um, Brendan Skelton Douglas is a popular wholesaler. He will, he does a course on it um, that can teach you about wholesaling. Um, that's amazing. So and certain lawyers might even have some certain agreements when it comes to assignments that they could help you with. Uh, Richard Bell is a popular one. Barry McGuire, which I know that you work with quite a bit. I've worked with yeah. quite a bit. Um, they'll have agreements they can help you out with as well. 
That's awesome, man. Um, yeah, especially when you're getting into wholesaling, it can be a little intimidating. But uh, like like Calvin said, you know, sometimes Calvin will even you know call the number on the side and have a discussion. If you're new to wholesaling and you got a really great deal, a lot of times you can just call a realtor and say, "Hey, do you have any clients who are looking for something like this?" Because you might not have the network of buyers quite yet, but you can work something out or work a deal with a realtor. A realtor will bring you a client. Um, there's some really cool stuff you can do in it, and it's one of those. Um, it's one of those early strategies you can, you can do with no money. You know what I mean? You don't need a whole lot of cash or any cash in some cases to to find a good deal, lock it up, and assign your interest in that deal to someone else. Can I throw in a pro tip? Cash. I feel like we need like a little box that pops up every single time we give a pro tip. It needs to be like a little like special like bright yellow box with like the writing in it. And yeah. it's on the road. Um, so pro tip is if you're looking at getting into real estate investing and you have a nine to five job, Oh, no kidding. Seriously, Wayne, this is that so fast. cool. That fast. Okay. I'm like, <laughs> back on track. I should have had it ready considering how many pro tips you've given thus far. <laughs> so if you, I'm speaking to anybody that feels like they do not have enough, enough financial capital to get into real estate investing. If you're in a position where you're working a nine to five job, you're terribly busy with family, outside items, and you just cannot work a second job, whatever it is, and you don't have enough money to get in real estate investing, in your spare time, you can do wholesaling and you can end up getting paid very well. If you find a good deal, wholesalers on average will probably make about $5,000 per property. So maybe even more. So you could literally knock your neighborhood. And the nice thing is that your neighbors are probably going to know you and they're going to trust you. And as a wholesaler, that's probably the most important thing is to have that trust that they're going to be taken care of. And there's reasons why wholesalers don't use realtors and there's a market for it. And I know we're kind of getting off track. Let me throw these three things out there just in case, because I, I appreciate wholesalers. I love them. And if you do want and need to get money to be able to get into real estate investing, this is such a good avenue for you. Mm -hmm. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. I've seen people with $0 because all their money from their nine to five goes towards their bills. They have nothing left over. Start doing wholesaling. If you're making an extra five to $10,000 a month, that will make a difference. It'll make a difference in your life. Yeah. Three reasons why, sorry, three reasons why um, wholesalers exist and why there's a market for them. A lot of sellers are embarrassed about their property. Remember that shit stained toilet uh, analogy that I used? There are those yeah. houses, those hoarding houses, and they're don't, they do not want to have their properties on the MLS. They're embarrassed. They want a quick sale. Boom. One reason. Second reason. Some, some sellers hate realtors. They've had a terrible experience with realtors and they do not want realtors dealing with their, their sale. Wholesalers. Mm -hmm. Second opportunity. Third opportunity is a lot of wholesale or a lot of sellers, be, especially because of COVID, don't want random buyers walking through their property. They don't want unqualified buyers walking through their property. So you as a wholesaler is likely going to be teamed up with a realtor or your own network, bringing qualified individuals through to get a quick sale. Mm -hmm. Three reasons why wholesaling is a market, why it does so well. And it's a good opportunity for you to get into it if you're not doing it right now. It's amazing, man. Yeah, those are great tips. Now we got a trap there big time. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. We're talking. This is um I, I find a lot of wholesalers what they do is um they get really good at funny and this is like almost like on the job training, right? You you don't really have to have any money to do wholesaling. While you're doing it and you're making cash, you're also learning everything you need to know about your market, right? So that when you do have cash, now you know where to find the deals, now you know where to be investing, right? As opposed to some people just literally just scroll MLS, you know, every night just trying to figure out like, well, okay, what's a good neighborhood? This is this is great on the job training. Um, and 
where else are they going with this? Uh, and then flipping, I see a lot of wholesalers, once they get a little bit of cash, then they keep them the deal to themselves as opposed to wholesaling it. Now they got a little bit of cash for buying it, renovation and everything else, and they start doing their own deals. So it's it's a great way to kind of get started and really start building up your capital. So now that you have the, you know, the, the entry fee in order to get into real estate investing, which is buying rental properties, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. and, and and a lot of people think that um, you know Edmonton and Alberta, it's 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 not the type of market for flipping. Yes, it's not as great as other you know uh, you know ends of the country where there's huge you know um, price increases and everything's super hot. But there's deals everywhere. It's just you got to know how to find them and how to look for them. Um, you know, there are people here that are flipping and making lots of money because nobody else is right. There's not a whole lot of heck. There's not a whole lot of demand. So. Um, pretty cool stuff. Um, you know, I think that might be my segue. I was looking for one to really start talking about Edmonton and 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 also comparing it to other sides of the country. Um, you know, BC's hot. On you know, Ontario's hot. Uh, uh, East Coast is hot. Saskatchewan's hot. I think everywhere is like ridiculously hot. But then Alberta is just like calm. It's been calm for a very long time. I've bought properties. You know. Um, almost 10 years ago and they're worth exactly the same as what I bought them for. And everyone's like, well, why would I put my money into there? Um, but I'm also starting to see a lot of that hot Ontario, BC, East coast money starting to come into here. And do you want to touch on why that is, why everybody's really coming, you know, to Alberta now? Definitely. So we know that, you know, provinces like BC, Ontario, specifically those two have seen some major appreciation boosts, especially since like, you know, if we're looking back to like May of 2020, when COVID really hit, um, property prices really did start to ramp up very dramatically and the market's been really crazy. Um, so I work with a lot of out of province investors and when you talk to them, if you talk to anybody that lives in BC, Ontario, they can't believe the prices either. either. They're like, I can't believe what's happening. This is absolutely insane. And I think over and over again, when I have those conversations, because I work with so many out of province investors, Every single time they will say it is absolutely insane what is happening here. Now, if their main goal as an investor was appreciation and it's tough to bank on appreciation, if you're doing forced appreciation, maybe because that's something completely different, natural appreciation, it's always hard to bank on because you can never really, you can time the market, but you never know what's going to happen. There's so many external factors. So it's a gamble. It is. So a lot of investors like the idea of cash flow. Okay. When I talk about, you know, what's your main goal for investing? Cash flow is usually top one, top two. Edmonton is very well known for cash flow. And so a lot of these in a lot of these homeowners, not even investors, Wayne, all these homeowners, they had their property value, say at 700, 800,000, and now all of a sudden it's over 1.2. They have this equity, this equity that they don't know what to do with. They have this money that's available in their house. They don't know what to do with it. They could go ahead and buy a Lamborghini, a Ferrari, be silly with it, do some major upgrades to their house, which would add value. But a lot of them are like, how do I reinvest this, this chunk of money into something that's going to grow? And that's where people look into the Edmonton market mm. because Edmonton's very well known for the cash flow that we can achieve. Our return, our cash on cash return is very, very good. Yeah. On single family detached houses, we're seeing 8%. Suited duplexes, we're seeing 12% plus which is very, very good. You know, you could buy a house here, spend $400,000 on the purchase price. So you're putting down a down payment of, you know, $80,000, which is 20%. <clears throat> and you can expect cash flow 600 to $800 a month. 
So that's almost like getting a part-time job. Now, you're not only getting the cash flow, as we know, when you're doing um, any purchases for buy and hold, you're also getting mortgage pay down. You are getting a natural appreciation over time, maybe a little bit longer as a, you know, in consideration of, of Wayne's point. Um, but there's some huge positives. And so a lot of investors like to take that money, put it in a market that's fairly stable like Edmonton, because we're known for more of a stable market as opposed to Calgary. Calgary is a little bit more volatile, uh, volatile with their property prices being a little bit higher. So it's a little bit harder to cash flow. So Edmonton has more like, you know, we're oil, gas, manufacturing plants, government, which kind of balances us out. That's why a lot of people like our market because you don't see boom, 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 boom. You see a lot of consistency and a lot of people like to have that consistency and know that they're going to be getting that money in their pocket every single month. You can't have all of your investments in, in, in aggressive um, markets, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's hot. It's great, but you don't know when that's going to stop. And, and, and eventually what you, need to, what you need to do is either, you know, move that money into a safer market, a safer investment or diversify and just make sure that, you know, because it just as fast as it went up and it came, it could go away just as quickly. Um, yeah. So it, that's that's why I love Alberta. I mean, I've had lots of people ask me, hey, why aren't you investing in um, Kitchener or, or Windsor or uh, Ottawa or Vancouver or Toronto? That's that's not my game. I, I like I like the fact that I bought properties, you know, almost 10 years ago. And yeah, they're they're still worth the same. But I've made money, like 15% return on money. And and I haven't had to put any money into it. You know what I mean? They cash flow. I got good reserves. They run. They operate like a really great business. I buy businesses. I don't buy properties. Exactly. That's, that's the way I look at it. And yeah, sure. If, if we hit a big um, spike and the property values go up, fantastic. But that's not my intent when I'm buying these types of properties. And that's, that's what I see people doing from, from other provinces. They're getting smart about their money. They made a lot of money. They're like, okay, I won. Let's let's put this into something safe. Let's put this into something that's going to give me, you know, some cash flow every month. That's going to operate. I'm not going to have to put anything into it. It's low risk, and as well, I mean, it's it's good for their the future, their, whatever their their legacy is, their family, you know, their you know their retirement, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's, and- I love it. I, I I can't talk enough about it. <laughs> and I would say, you know, three years ago, because I always worked with out of province investors. Three years ago, looking back, it was pretty much just investors that were looking at investing in Alberta. Now I'm finding primary home, like literally just like, like regular mom and pa, you know, individuals that are like, Hey, we have this equity. We want to invest it. Our friend did it. They did very well. And now they're starting to inquire about more information. And they also hear about this Alberta advantage that's been kind of roaming around the uh, blogs and, uh, and chat rooms. So for those of you that don't know the Alberta advantage, is we don't have things like PST, we don't have things like land transfer tax. There's a lot of taxes in these additional provinces that aren't, that are gonna cost you more in the end. So it's gonna save you a lot of money. Um, your, 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 your upfront costs are gonna be significantly less, uh, less. In addition, if you are looking at doing a buy and hold, which is a lot of what these investors are looking for, our landlord rules are exceptionally good in comparison. So our ability to evict is in a much shorter timeline. Our ability to raise rents after 365 days is unlimited. It's a lot more balanced when it comes to landlord rules to tenant rules, where a lot of these other provinces, the tenants are seen as like the superior to the landlord and not as equals. Alberta 
is a little bit more of an equal playing field, which puts you as an investor in more of an equal playing field, which gives you a better opportunity to be successful. Pro tip right there. I, I popped it up as you were saying <laughs> it, my friend. That is one thing I didn't mention. I was leaving it for you. Like, Talk about low risk and great returns. Great landlord loss. That's that's huge because that's a huge variable for people in a business is 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 your clients and and if you have a situation where you can't get rid of them um, or you know all the other horrible things that I hear about other provinces landlord laws um, this is this is super powerful you know if you're going to treat this like a business um, I'm glad you brought it up um, what property types are you seeing right now as the most popular in this Edmonton and Alberta market? Or let's just say Edmonton, just keep it simple. Most popular property types, like in the sense property of like, type investment types. Um, I would say the most popular for if we're speaking long term. So like the buy and hold strategy, I would say suited single family detached houses because your returns, like I mentioned, are about 8%. Um, suited duplexes are probably my favorite because you could buy a duplex. And I know a lot of out of province investors, they'll start with more of a turnkey property. And then, you know, after property two, three, four, then they'll do more of a burr when they start to get more confidence in the market. Suited duplexes, you know, you can buy a turnkey suited duplex for about $650,000, $700,000 and expect cash flow $1,100, $1,200 plus. That's significant on a monthly basis. That's like, that's like Wayne, me and you every two months going to like a four and a half star Mexico resort um, just from our cash flow, right? So that's amazing. Um, and I think more than ever, people are like, hey, let's get the hell out of here. Let's go for a, a little destination. Our yeah. properties literally pay for our vacations and improvement of our quality of life. And the cash flow here is that good as long as you do your right due diligence. Not every property is great, but overall, you can get some really good returns. But I would say um, if you can find a property that has, the ability to have more leases, you're going to be able to, this is a huge tip here. So the more leases you have, the more gross profit that you're going to see, or sorry, the most gross rent, more gross rent you're going to see. So if you have a property that has four or five leases, you're probably going to end up doing better in the end. So I'll give you an example. A lot of people don't realize that when you have a single family detached house, if you're just renting out the whole house, you're maybe only making $400 of cash flow. If you have it now suited and you rent out the main floor in the basement, you've now increased your cash flow probably almost double. Mm -hmm. And it also helps mitigate your ability that when you go vacant on one of the units or the whole house, whatever, the other unit is going to help mitigate the losses um, in cash flow as well. So if you have one, one space that's vacant for 20 days, whatever it is, usually not that long, um, the other unit that's rented is going to help pay for that. So it's not all out of pocket. Now, if you have that same single family detached house and you have a garage, you can actually rent that garage out separate and that's a third lease. If you were to run your numbers and you're thinking, well, Calvin, what the hell? Does that tenant not want that main floor? Like, does that main floor tenant not want the garage? They probably want it, but they're okay without it in a lot of cases, especially if you're near transit, like the LRT. We have some huge LRT infrastructure that's coming in the South Valley line, West Valley line, purchased near good transit. And there's a good chance your tenant probably won't require a garage. They might not even have a car. I love tenants that don't have cars because it's less traffic out front. Neighbors are happier. Great. Love it. Yeah. So if you have a property, rent the main floor, basement, garage, things are looking good. And now if you do a duplex that's suited, you have four. Plus, if you have a garage, that's another one. And you can even partition your garage if it has two separate doors. And you can have rent for each one of them. Who rents garages, you ask? 
Well, anybody that has extra storage, they could put their old hot rod car in there. They have tools. It doesn't mean they need to have access on a daily basis. Most of them typically only need access once every couple of months. Yeah, it's great, man. So for someone who's who's at a province, another province investor, or someone who's in another province, they made a lot of cash or, or they don't want to invest in their local market and they want to invest, say, in Alberta or Edmonton, how, how do they go about doing that? Like, I'll be honest, that it kind of intimidates me thinking about investing in uh, in Ottawa, you know, for example, like where do I where do I start? You know, so where does someone start? What kind of tips um, would you recommend? So first thing, what a lot of people do is they'll go on a um, like a chat. They'll look up, um, you know, real estate investor chat or blog or, um, you know, they have like the fearless investors. You have Keyspire. Um, you have a lot of these um, little meetup groups that have these chats, these Facebook chats. And you can jump on. You can just ask to be invited in. And I think a lot of them will have public um, opportunities for the public to go on. You can go on there and say, hey, I'm thinking about investing in Edmonton. Is there a realtor you recommend? Is there recommend someone that you and is there someone you recommend talking to? They're going to give you a list of names. So step one is get a list of names that could be credible. You don't know whether they're credible or not because you still need to interview them. Then I would do is I'd spend a day and I would interview all these different people, and I would go with who you feel like you can trust the most that has the most information that's in line with what you're looking at achieving. Hmm. Once you do that, chat with them, meet with them they're probably going to end up having a team that you can adopt. So I know that for myself, a lot of out of town, out of province investors don't have general contractors. They don't have anybody. They don't have a power team like they probably do in their own province. So you're coming in and you're essentially adopting this, this team that I'm able to offer to you. That's already been working with investors for years and years and years. That's highly credible. I'm saving you all the time that it's going to take to find an electrician, a plumber, HVAC, landscaper, roofer, tiler, floor, painter, stager, like the list just goes on and on and on. You're essentially just adopting this team to make it nice and simple. And that's our goal. My goal is to make it as easy as possible as if you're investing in your own backyard. Right on, man. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's funny because the realtor really does... Realtor is really a, a very valuable source compared to other, you know, members on your team, it, though they have resources as well to refer you to. It just seems like the first person to call is always the realtor. And then just everything else comes into place around uh, maybe, you know what, I'd like to thank realtors for a second because, like you know, they, they, they really do. You guys really do go above and beyond as far like what I'm trying to uh, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, the, the the Rolodex that comes with a good investor focused realtor. And that's that's the key thing I was trying to get at was that um, uh, a lot of people say, I have a friend or I've already got a realtor. And I'll tell you just personal experience. There's nothing wrong with realtors or anyone who's not investor focused. But um, it, if they don't understand what it is that you're looking for, you know, are they really serving you the best that they can? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, I have a couple final questions, but also there was some questions that came in earlier. I, I figured I'd just get them answered before we kind of start winding down. Um, Nathan had asked one uh, back on the topic of flipping and renovations. Uh, what are your thoughts on completing the basics that need to be done like shingles, soffits, fascia uh, and thoughts on replacing aluminum windows? Um, you know, should you replace them or should you? Uh, should you do that while they're um, while you're pulling off the trimmings and, and uh, the trim around the windows and, and painting it or? 
I would say if you're trying to produce a high-end product, like a high, sorry, not high-end, a high-range product, meaning if you're trying to ach uh, achieve the highest ARV possible within that community, the likelihood that other comparables are going to have all these items done is probably is probably true. So you'd want to make sure that you're renovating these items just like they have. This is probably the, one of the biggest mistakes I've seen is a fix and flipper will not replace the windows. They're expecting to get the highest ARV but they don't replace any of the windows in the property. And then guess what the feedback is that every single time we get a buyer through a potential buyer for that property, it's like, you're asking for top dollar, but you're giving me a mid range product. You know what I mean? So we got to make sure that when you're renovating it, if you're expecting top dollar, you can't cut those corners. Even if you paint the wood window sills to make it look like it's new windows, they're going to know whether they're new updated windows or not. So there's, there's little things you can do to make old seem like new. Yep. Lots of little things, but there's certain things you can't get around. I don't recommend getting around it, especially if you're looking at getting top dollar. Now, properties that are half renovated don't sell very well because most people that are looking for a turnkey property are looking for a turnkey property. If you have a property that's 90% completed as a flip, those do the absolute worst because most buyers, what are they looking for? It's going to be probably either a family or an investor. A family that's looking for a turnkey property doesn't have to, they don't want to worry about having to replace the siding now, the windows they're looking at a property that they can just move in. They probably have a kid, maybe two kids, and they want to make it nice and easy, right? Some of the highest ARVs are properties that are fully turnkey, ready to go. Give them the product that they're expecting to see through the MLS, because we're going to make the, the marketing on the MLS look amazing. But when they go to the property, the experience and how they feel the property should be another elevation. And it should yeah. be exactly, if not more, with what they're expecting. Great question, Nathan. Uh, and the other question came from Adrian again. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, what I've heard uh, some ex other experts say is that we might be experiencing a FOMO driven market, being that the fundamentals don't really line up? Well, FOMO is a thing. So yeah. do you remember what FOMO is? A fear of missing out. Yes. So something that we all experience when we're probably 17, 18 years old, when all your friends are going to the party and you're at home. Um, it's, it's a real thing. And it's also a thing when it comes to investing. When you see your friends buying properties, um, you know, busy, like, hey, what are you doing on the weekend? Oh, I'm working on this fix and flip. I'm so excited to get on the market. You, if you have that investor mindset a little bit, you might experience a little bit of FOMO. Yeah, I've experienced it. I don't know, Wayne, when you, when you hear about stuff, like someone just bought a big building, it's like, damn, I got to buy a big building. Don't let that get in the way with what your goals are. It's easy yeah. to get distracted as an investor to see what all these other lanes. There's when it comes to investing, there's literally like a hundred different lanes. You need to make sure that you focus on the lane that you're in. That's going to get you to the goal that you want. If you can, if you're on a highway and you're always trying to, Oh, I'm in this, you know, if you're always merging lanes to, you know, to try and get to the end goal, it's going to take you a hell of a lot longer. It's important to understand what your goal is. Why is it your goal? And then stay in your lane. It's good to know what's happening in your peripherals, but stay focused. That is one of the biggest tips I can give when it comes to investors that just don't take any action at all. They get overwhelmed. Real estate investing can be fairly simple. It gets complicated when you get worried about what everybody else is doing. Focus mm -hmm. on you. And it doesn't mean you can't focus on a different project after this one, but keep focus in your lane. Um, I would say as long as the numbers make sense, don't let emotion drive your purchase, but make the numbers uh, drive your purchase. That's my, that would be my, my biggest response when it comes to any kind of um, FOMO. I have clients that call me all the time that are like, I need to buy a property. I'm like, we need to buy the right property. Yep. 
Yeah. Um, if if you write one thing today, that is the, that is the most important thing. This is literally what I'm I'm preaching all the time. You know, with my with my coaching clients, and that's why we're holding the the cabin retreat here in September. This is literally what it's all revolving around: is the fact that I see so many investors coming in, and they listen to one of my podcasts, they listen to other podcasts, and they heard somebody did really good, and they made a hundred thousand dollars on some strategy. So they're like, I need to go take this course. And what they do is they just flip flop and they float around for years and they don't really do all that much and then you watch that same person who you watched on that podcast and they're just flying by you because they're they're laser focused they don't they don't get you know they don't start floating around and just chasing things you know and chasing butterflies and chasing cool ideas so you know listen to what calvin said just make sure you you pick something and yeah you can explore things you can you can do your research but just stay in one direction and just stay obviously towards whatever is that goal that you're looking for um and wow, we got some we got some loyal uh, listeners today. But uh, Nathan has another uh, comment. He says Calvin knows his stuff. Great episode. Just curious, has Calvin ever done a headstand on a live stream? I feel like that's a challenge. <laughs> that is a one hundred percent live challenge. challenge. Well, give me one second. <laughs> so if you're listening to the uh, to the <laughs> to the audio on iTunes or Spotify today. Uh, now you go to YouTube and you have to check out uh, Calvin doing a headstand. Yeah, I just did. I didn't think I could do it. I did it, Nathan. Did it. Thank you. I did it for you. I think that now, deserves a Starbucks next time you see me. Yeah. yeah. Or Nathan has to uh, <laughs> upload a video of himself doing it on Facebook or Instagram. <laughs> I like it. You know, on that topic, uh, you're obviously a pretty strong guy. If you can, uh, if you can do a headstand. Um, this is something that I wanted to talk about a little bit if we had the time. And I think, I think we do have a little bit of time today. And I want to end on this. The real estate investor dad podcast is not about real estate investor dads, right? I am a real estate investor dad. Um, I'm like all of those things. And, and among many other things that I'm obligated and responsible for, um, everybody has their own thing, right? And every, everyone's got a baseball team. Everyone's got a job. Everyone's got kids. Everyone's got a dog, right? And these are a lot of the common let's call them excuses or reasons why people don't go out and invest in real estate, start their own business, do something for themselves, you know, make themselves better. Um, so I like to shine a light on people who, who call bullshit on that, right? For every, for every excuse that someone has, I can name five people that have the exact same excuses or reasons and they're doing it. Right. So I like to share that. I like to, and, 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 you know, you can do a headstand. You're a very, very busy realtor. You're an investor. You know, you have, you have a partner, you know, a girlfriend, um, you got lots of different things going on and you're always like Calvin, I watch you and like, you're always doing cool, super fun things. And I think like myself, like I don't have time to do those super fun things. How does he go out and do all those awesome things? And I'm willing to bet it's your routine, right? You're also extremely like you're in great shape, right? So how do you go about touching all those things every day? You know, you're taking care of your clients. You got your investment properties. You're, you're a good, you're a good boyfriend. Um, you know, you're, you're healthy and everything else. How do you go about doing that? Like what kind of, what does your routine look like? My schedule is literally my Bible. So, yeah. and I mean that, so it's planning ahead and it's putting in your schedule. If it's not in my schedule, it's probably not going to get done. Mm. So I always plan ahead as much as I possibly can. I literally will put, you know, girlfriend time, I will put gym, I will put work, I will put everything in my calendar. And then I keep that as a focus. And I would say one of the biggest things that kind of shot me ahead during COVID was to still maintain that structure where we know COVID and the lockdowns and who knows what's going to happen with with what's happening in the future. Biggest tip I can give you is get us book your schedule in advance and stick to it. 
if you're talking about like your long-term, mid-term, short-term goals and what's the biggest priority, write them all down on a piece of paper, circle the ones that are the most important and make sure that you're doing something at least once a week to get you closer to those goals. Because it's easy at 5, 6 p.m. be like, oh, the day's already done. I didn't have enough time to do it. You need to make sure you throw it in your schedule and follow it like a ritual. Because in a month, you're going to be very proud of all the steps you took towards those goals. And I guarantee it is going to make a difference in your happiness when you start making progress. Because it always comes down to progress. And you got to put it in. You got to put it in. And that's that's honestly what works. Stick to it. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. This is... Um, uh... Yeah, it's it's good to hear different different. Um, I don't want to say like different lifestyles, but like every every guest that I have on has a different thing, and it's it's great to get different perspectives and 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 it all seems to be like I said, it all it all comes down to a routine and a schedule. Um, literally everyone that I've talked to, all one hundred and some odd guests, um, they all say the same thing. So you know, listen to what Calvin said. You know, listen to what I say, please, for the love of goodness, the love of God, like, um, you know, get yourself a schedule, stick to it and, uh, and, and, and stay on course. Um, Calvin, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, tons and tons right. and tons of pro tips and value today. I was going to throw something in at the very, very last little thing. I was going to, I was going to offer me, anybody, anybody that's listening, I'm going to offer something to you guys. Okay. Wayne doesn't even know what it is. Um, no. So we're actually doing a, I'm going to do a, a shameless, actually, it's a, it's a good thing for everybody. So we're doing a tour on August 28th, starting at 10 a.m., where we're looking at five to six different variations of flips or burrs in various different stages. And you get to go out there, you get to see the property, you get to feel the property. You also get to speak to the seller, the investor that's there to understand what their numbers are, how are they making make sense, what are the biggest challenges, successes, and you get to be present. So what I'm going to say is that if you can answer this question correctly, we're going to put your name into a draw. If that works with you, Wayne, yep. if you can answer this question correctly, we're going to put your name into a draw and you're going to have the opportunity to have two tickets, one for yourself and one for one other person that you want. And you can come on this flip tour and you can meet a whole bunch of other like-minded investors. And if you're interested in flipping, it doesn't matter if you've ever flipped a property before, just thinking about it, or if you're an expert and you've done 50 to 60 to hundred, totally fine too. My question for you is, give me one Alberta advantage that we talked about. Write it in the comments and we're gonna take those names and I'm gonna do a draw and whoever gets the win, it'll be completely random, is gonna be able to come on this flip tour August 28th, starting at 10 a.m. in Edmonton. August 28th, Edmonton. Put it in the comments, whether you're watching this live right now or whether you're watching it later. And, uh, and that's amazing. Thank you so much for doing that. That's that's awesome. Um, and if anyone is interested in the, the flip tour or reaching out to you, what's the best way to contact you? Um, I would say, honestly, you can just Google like Calvin. You can reach out to me like via social media, phone number, email. The best thing about a realtor, my girlfriend lost my number one night. Funny night. She got drunk. She lost her phone. She's like, this is like beginning of us starting to date like a year and a half ago. She's like, I can't remember Calvin's number. I need him to get a hold of me so he can pick me up. She Googled my name on a stranger's phone and all my personal information, phone number, email. I'm pretty sure my credit card number, my SIN number came up too. When you're a realtor, you can't hide from the public. You are right yeah. there. I would say you can look me up anywhere. Um, reach out on any platform. Be happy to chat with you. Awesome. 
Thanks so much, man. Um, and thank you everybody uh, for got, who got involved today. Uh, thanks for all the questions. Um, everybody seems to love it. Nathan also says uh, he's going to opt uh, for the coffee instead of doing the headstand. So I love it. Um, thanks for love doing it. our first headstand on a live stream as well. <laughs> right on, Calvin. Okay, thanks again. And thanks everyone for listening.